Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Today's broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble host, Tim Tapp, coming to you live from historic and scenic Rogan County, Tennessee. Thanks for joining us today. Certainly uh, have a lot of stuff to go over. Obviously, uh, last Wednesday, which is the other usual time we have the broadcast, was unable to do so uh, due to uh, a rather violent inclement weather that came through. We were actually very fortunate uh, at my specific location. However, electricity and Internet was disrupted, so very difficult to do the show. Uh, however, uh, we are back and operational finally, and uh, it's uh, a lot of stuff has happened this past week. Everything from lesser stories like Bill O'Reilly and... Uh, things of that nature, all the way up to the fact that we have a new Supreme Court justice, thanks to the Republicans utilizing the nuclear option. We have uh, military action taking place in Syria uh, in response to an alleged chemical attack uh, by Assad against his own people. Uh, we also have movement in the National Security Council as Steve Bannon uh, is removed from that position. Uh, I will be joined by uh, Megan Barth, uh, the proprietor and uh, chief person behind ReaganBaby.com, and we'll be talking about the uh, the circumstances or surrounding of uh, Mr. Bannon's move. And then a little bit after that, I will be joined by Lieutenant General Rick Lynch. We'll be talking about his newest book, Work Hard, Pray Hard, The Power of Faith in Action. Definitely looking forward to both of those conversations. And after that, we will, uh, as time allows, talk about some of these bigger stories that are certainly worth talking about. Uh, something that kind of surprised me a little bit, and this is kind of where I will start today. Hope no one minds. 
Barry Manilow officially came out of the closet this past week. And even with things going on surrounding Susan Rice and surrounding uh, Representative Nunes uh, and all this unmasking, which is a big part of the story we'll talk about later, and the potential of that unmasking leading to leaks and whether or not Susan Rice has lied or whether or not uh, Devin uh, Nunes did anything wrong, uh, his stepping down from heading up the investigation between Russian and uh, Trump campaign collusion. With all of that in mind, it was surprising to me how much time we spent actually talking about the vocalist of Mandy himself, Barry Manilow, coming out of the closet. I'm surprised that uh, it was such a big deal. Uh, a lot of folks were not at all surprised by that news. Uh, quick shout out to Mary, who's joined us in the chat room, by the way. Uh, good to see you, uh, Mary. And uh, thank you for the uh, positive wishes there. But uh, you know, he came out, and a lot of people were spending a whole lot of time talking about Barry Manilow. Coming out, oh, Barry Manilow's gay, who knew, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and uh, there were a lot of jokes, a lot of craziness that went along with, but uh, it, it just it came across to me as being very odd that uh, we had this much communication about it. Because, like I said, for most people, they really weren't that surprised. Uh, Mr. Manilow very much carried himself uh, in a fashion that was reminiscent of. Uh, homosexuals with musical careers in that time. Obviously, he wanted to keep it quiet at the time because who was his primary uh, fans? Well, you know, mostly women. He was singing these uh, love songs to, and, you know, they want to make sure that uh, they don't do anything to hurt their career. He was even married to a woman at one point in time, which a lot of people have used as kind of the, well, this is why it surprised me business. But at the end of all of this crazy communication, why would any of that surprise anyone? Because, you know, first and foremost, a lot of people that had their careers in the time frame had the professional marriages. But I think the real reason so many people spent so much time talking about this early, especially with these other things going on, it had a lot to do with the fact that Number one, we were looking for a distraction from the very serious situation, to, talking about what's going on with wiretapping and Trump activity and all that. But also, straight up, I think there is a large amount of surprise, given where our climate has gone as far as acceptance and all that wonderful stuff, that why would Mr. Manilow feel the, ne the necessity to keep this that quiet for this long. Well, I think the very fact that we talked about it so much is the very reason why he wanted to keep it quiet. The bottom line is, is it's none of anybody else's business. Uh, if Barry Manilow is gay, then hey, so what? Barry Manilow's gay. As far as the religious aspects are concerned, uh, my Christian teachings tell me that he's the one who has to answer for what he does. So... 
there's no reason for any of us really to care. He's far from the first musician to come out as being homosexual. He's far from the first musician in his time frame to try and keep that information quiet. So really, the conversation wasn't about him doing so, but the conversation was really about why did he wait so long? Why didn't he come out and be someone as far as uh, a forward-looking, a forward-thinking individual? Why didn't he come out as an example, a, a torchbearer for the cause? Well, mostly, ladies and gentlemen, because Barry Manilow, like a lot of people, regardless of what makes them different from anyone else, just wants to live his life. He didn't want to be a poster child for anything. Mary uh, hits it very well. Why did he not come out sooner? Well, because it's fashionable now? Well, I think that's more of the question, why wait till now, as opposed to why he did it now. I think he did it now to finally get it out of the way, make it official, give a tip of the hat to this very long-time partner. I, it's been fashionable enough, especially for someone in his career path, to have come out a decade ago. So it's not about the fashion on his part. It's about our questioning, why not sooner? Why not a decade ago? Why not a decade and a half ago? This, if he had released that information uh, a decade ago, he could have probably, if he wanted to, extended his career into a whole new audience and a whole new set and a whole new level of sales drastically. But at the end of the day, I think it was mostly because it's his business, not really ours. That's why he wanted to keep it quiet, and I think we ought to respect that. And that's pretty much it. Anyone surprised by it? Uh, probably wasn't paying enough attention. But naturally, we want to talk about things. And I do think it it took up a big chunk of uh, our information block, our conversational time, because we were just shocked he waited so long. Also, Bill O'Reilly. Now, this whole Bill O'Reilly thing is something to behold. Most of it isn't even new news. Uh, if you've been under a rock, then... Uh, Maybe you're not aware, but uh, there's this mass exodus of advertisers moving away from Bill O'Reilly's O'Reilly factor on Fox News. The anchor for the news opinion block uh, every primetime evening on Fox News. Bill O'Reilly's been the anchor there for some time. He's established himself as a professional who attempts to be journalistic. I do have a couple of issues with Bill O'Reilly. He does come across a little sanctimonious at times. And uh, I do think that in his effort to get interviews with Barack Obama, he did kind of soften his usual interview style a bit, which, you know, I don't have a problem with soft interviews. I tend to do soft interviews myself. <laughs> Mary's questioning me a little. Uh, okay, well, I'm trying to be nice. Uh, <laughs> Now, I don't have a particularly in-your-face, aggressive interview style myself, but that's always been my style. I 
basically want to have the guests come on, say what they have to say. I'll ask them a few questions. I'll occasionally challenge them a little bit of something major, but usually I just want them to have a fair opportunity to let you guys hear exactly what they have to say. I think that's fair, and I think that gives them every opportunity. Uh, in a lot of ways, I still see them as doing me a favor by being guests on the show. And I definitely would like almost anybody who comes on the show to be willing to come back should there be a newsworthy area to bring them on. So I don't want to be confrontational. He, however, has been a little more confrontational uh, to a lot of folks in the past. But this isn't exactly old news. These uh, sexual harassment lawsuits, uh, there's five of them, a huge chunk of money. But the bottom line here is two things, and we'll probably touch more on this after uh, today's interviews. So I'll probably swing back around to it because I'm uh, up against uh, time to call Megan at this point. But uh, the main view here is that, number one, it's insurance companies that push these settlements. So it doesn't mean that there's even an admission of guilt on the part of the individual that's being sued. That's the first thing to keep in mind. Now, does that mean he's not guilty? That in and of itself does not, but it certainly doesn't mean that he is. And number two, I find the timing very interesting, and I think everyone else should too. See, I, I don't know how many of you noticed, but early this week, Bill O'Reilly kind of stepped in it a little bit. He was on the morning show on Fox called Fox and Friends, and uh, the question of Maxine Waters came up, and he was trying to be humorous, and he made a, what a lot of people felt was an offensive, racist comment uh, that uh, she needs to stop wearing the James Brown wig. Um, okay. Now, before a lot of people really jumped on that or said a whole lot of negative things, that very night he let off his show with an apology. He admitted that it was childish, that he was just trying to tell a joke, and didn't really realize how off-color and how offensive it could be until after he had said it, and it certainly wasn't the intention, and he admitted it. He was being childish, and it was unnecessarily offensive. Well, he still didn't take a whole lot of flack. There were some folks that gave him a hard time about it, but it was shortly after that that suddenly – this news story broke, and then all of a sudden, well, we know the rest. Of course, news sources on the left are claiming that we have a massive uh, outflux of advertisers just leaving Fox News altogether. In truth, what we have is advertisers trying to distance themselves from O'Reilly, but not from Fox News. All right. Uh, like I said, I'll circle back around on this one. Uh, hang loose for me, and I will be right back, uh, hopefully, if all goes well, with Megan Barth. Stay with me. Just above the gun Hear the wind Cross the plain 
There is no fear that I must contain, and I'm in the eye of the hurricane. I see the sweat across his brow. I'm poised to draw in eternal now. The fastest one is the one who's slain. I still stand, got the better aim, and I'm in the eye of the hurricane. And I want the world. We are actuaries in a world filled with unpredictability. We use our math skills to navigate uncertainty. Actuaries make a difference in people's lives across industries and the world. Actuaries have the freedom to work anywhere, and according to U.S. News and World Report, we're the 25th top-paying career. Make an impact as a fact seeker and a truth teller. Use your math skills for good as an actuary. The world needs you. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work. For what we believe in, at U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job; it's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov/careers. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am back, and unfortunately, I only got a uh, voicemail. <laughs> so hopefully, Megan will call in here momentarily, and we'll have this conversation. Uh, in the meanwhile, I will continue with uh, what I was uh, discussing previously, uh, while I keep an eye on the phone board to see if uh, she gives me a call in. And uh, yeah, uh, Mary laid it out pretty Clever, who says, you just can't make offensive comments about Maxine Waters. Uh, <laughs> and uh, she's absolutely right. But the other thing here is I just find the timing very interesting. All of a sudden, a reporter mysteriously discovers that there's been a string of settlements. Uh, you know, and some of these stories, uh, some of these settlements in question uh, go way back. And I know most of us remember hearing about these stories. So is it that surprising that this is suddenly pushed as a major story because of how shocking the total dollar amount is? Well, plain and simple, uh, Bill said it himself in his defense, uh, and that is he's a major ratings draw to the network. He's a public figure. He's very vocal. And uh, between his success with uh, his best-selling books and uh, the show, uh, The O'Reilly Factor, the radio show, The No Spin Zone, all of these wonderful things that he's been doing for so very long that has made him a major brand and a major force inside conservative news media, well, naturally, he's going to be a target. Now, I firmly believe that he did the right thing in his apology, and he should have apologized because, yeah, it – I can get how off-the-cuff remarks can sometimes 
sounds funny in your head, and then after you say it, you're like, oh, crap. You know, Not only does that sound a lot worse than I meant it, but it wasn't even that funny to begin with. I think we fell into that trap right there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think the timing is not coincidental. I firmly believe that this big push to try and drive sponsors away from Bill O'Reilly on Fox News has more to do with the Maxine Waters comment than anything to do with the uh, lawsuits that have been settled by the lawyers slash insurance companies at Fox News looking to protect Bill O'Reilly. Of course, Bill also said that he would love to get these things finished quickly to save his children and his family uh, the embarrassment of having to go through these things. Now, others who've worked with Bill O'Reilly have come forward making clear and obvious statements that uh, while he will come down hard on the people who work for him and work around him if they feel like they're not bringing their best efforts, or if he feels like they're not adhering to the journalistic integrity standards that he has set for his show, that uh, other than that, he's very buttoned up. And this is actually a direct quote from, uh, of all people, Glenn Beck. He's very buttoned up. He's very professional. Uh, I had some other quotes uh, pulled together earlier. I don't know where they've gotten to. I don't have them in front of me anymore. But uh, other people that's worked with O'Reilly in the past, uh, people that you would expect would know him but uh, don't necessarily owe him anything, people that aren't associated with Fox News anymore. Uh, and I say anymore in the case with uh, Glenn Beck, who was at one time. That's really where they first met and got to know each other, according to all the information that's out publicly. But the point being is that most of these folks don't feel like he is uh, someone that would be guilty of this kind of behavior. All right, I do see now we're uh, on the line. We have uh, Megan Barth. She is, of course, the proprietor and chief executive uh, working over at ReaganBaby.com, and she's joining us right now live on the air. Thanks, Megan, for joining us. How are you today? Thanks, Tim. Good. It's ReaganBaby.com. My ReaganBaby.com was so I had to get a lawyer involved, and we're um, debuting ReaganBabe.com this next week. There's definitely a story behind it. I'll be interviewed this week, and I'll be posting about my domain being hijacked or seized this week, my previous domain. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, I did notice the change yeah. in the uh, the website, and uh, I mm -hmm. went to it earlier to see if the uh, website name had changed, and as of right now, it, it still comes up Reagan Baby at the website, which is why I said that. But the current link, yeah, if you no do problem. go to the show description, if you go to the show description for everybody listening, it will take you to the correct uh, domain place. That part has been corrected. All right, well, first of all, I hate to hear that, but obviously uh, somebody uh, wants to try and uh, make it a little harder for you to get your information out, correct? Correct. Yeah, I think so. And what's really interesting, it definitely is a freedom of speech issue, um, but what even is more interesting is that there are other domains with Reagan in the name, and they aren't touched. And so, but to to get my domain back would be a couple years and lots of money, and it would be a federal suit. So um, I consulted with lawyers, and ReaganBabe.com is going to be just fine. And we'll see if I try to get my old domain back. You know, that was my brand and my 
my brand for two years. I invested a lot of time and money in it. But ReaganBabe.com is, you know, I, I like it. It's kind of like an evolution. And, uh, you know, right. we're just going to keep uh, exposing the truth because you can't find the truth in the headlines these days. That is true. And uh, quite honestly, trying not to sound too sexist about it, I think Reagan Babe suits you just fine. <laughs> oh, well, thank you All very right. much. You know, a lot of people have said that, and I, and I don't I don't take it, you know, sexism, schmexism. I mean, you know, I, I think um, I'm, I'm happy with the domain. I'm happy to own the domain, and I'm happy to promote it uh, on your show as well. So thank you. All right. All right. Uh, one of the main reasons that I had contacted uh, you about uh, being on today has to do with this shakeup with the National Security Council and uh, Stephen Bannon being uh, withdrawn from it. Uh, I was curious what your take is on it, mostly because I'm not buying this cover story that Bannon was only put there to keep an eye on Flynn, that it's nothing there to it. But uh, what is your take there? Well, you know, Bannon uh, has a lot of enemies, as does Trump, and um, for many reasons. One of the reasons is that he wants to deconstruct the administrative state, and the administrative, and, and also he's an enemy of the press, obviously, as he was uh, one of the uh, original investors and behind Breitbart. Uh, and so he calls things like he sees it very honestly. And so this deconstruction of the administrative state is not necessarily embraced by many establishment Republicans. Um, you know, we have the size of government we have uh, based on the feckless and basically incompetent Republican majority who funded Obamacare, didn't repeal Obamacare. And so I think Bannon's made a few enemies. Um, I hear, you know, rumors, which are only rumors, that he and Jared Kushner do not get along very well. And Roger Stone went on, um, oh gosh, I can't remember which site it was, um, uh, InfoWars. And uh, he said that, you know, Jared Kushner was feeding information to Joe Scarborough at MSNBC about Bannon. But when you kind of step back and, and get away from the mud, you know, he still maintains his security clearance. Um, he still will... Uh, he said he was going to depoliticize the NSC, which we know now the NSC led by Susan, Wright was, Susan Rice was very highly politicized, as well as the intelligence agencies and security agencies that they work with. And so, you know, if, if he depoliticized the NSC, wonderful. Uh, he still has not necessarily a stable, but he's invited to attend meetings and still keep his security clearance. I do hope he stays very close to Trump. And uh, I don't want to see Kevin McCarthy replace Ryan Priebus. Um, I think that Steve Bannon uh, provides an insight into Trump that doesn't exist in D.C., and that is the deconstruction of the administrative state, and that's also understanding the enemy and whether that the enemy is the Democrat Party or the press. And so his strategy related to that and, and to those uh, is – really well needed. This isn't a go-along to get-along administration. Uh, you know, Donald Trump promised some very broad and sweeping reforms, and uh, that's what we're waiting for. All right. Well, I mean, from the very beginning, what we've seen is uh, a philosophy of uh, putting together a team of uh, adversaries to try and keep everybody on their toes, to put the, the widest variety of options on the table, and I think that really does work well but uh, so you really don't think that this has any 
indications that Bannon's falling out of favor completely with Trump, that this is just a uh, kind of a one-shot deal? Well, I don't think – I don't know that he's falling out of favor with Trump necessarily, but I, I don't think he's favored by the establishment. And when you see uh, many in the establishment kind of cozying up to Trump, uh, I was the first to call out Trump when he attacked the Freedom Caucus. And I said, you know, you have to remember – and he should give him a kind reminder that it was the establishment that abandoned him on a campaign trail. Uh, Paul Ryan disinvited him from a Wisconsin rally, uh, whereby the Freedom Caucus and many, many members within the Freedom Caucus stood on principle and supported the nominee, supported the candidate, and is now supporting the tre- president. And, you know, this is the type of uh, – Bannon reflects uh, the Freedom Caucus, I think, very well. Uh, in that he is what I would consider a, a kind of hardcore constitutionalist, and he calls himself an economic nationalist, whereby we need to put our country first uh, and protect our country and lead with strength. And also on top of that, we need to deconstruct the administrative state. It was Ben Carson who just conducted an audit on the HUD who found a half a trillion dollars in waste and fraud. And so when people are wringing their hands trying to figure out how we're going to pay for the wall or, or entitlements or what have you, uh, there is the rub. There is the, 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 the ticket, really. I mean, Ben Carson should audit every single department. And, and this is what big government has given us, is waste, fraud, abuse of power, just wasting taxpayer money. We are paying more into the government than ever before, whether it's income tax or property taxes. And yet the government will just continue to grow as long as it remains unabated. And this is what I truly hope Steve Bannon can bring to the Trump presidency is the downsizing uh, of federal government and exposing the waste, fraud, and abuse, much like Ben Carson. Absolutely. All right. Well, uh, Megan, I'm sorry to say, but we're going to have to cut things a little bit short uh, at this point. But I definitely want to thank you for being here uh, before I let you go, let everybody know where they can find your work. Sure. Uh, we'll be launching ReaganBabe.com this week. It will look different, but it's going to be the same. It's a, it's a place for the truth that you won't find in the headlines. Uh, people can still find me at ReaganBaby on Facebook and uh, Reagan underscore baby on Twitter until further notice. All right. And in the meanwhile, uh, Megan, will definitely have to get you back on here uh, to talk a little bit more about this change and uh, any other news uh, stories that you want to talk about uh, as soon as uh, you're comfortable and as soon as you can legally discuss this Reagan babe change without any uh, repercussions. Have a great day. Yeah, and no, again, thanks for being absolutely. here. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right. And uh, goodbye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Megan Barth. Uh, She's been on the show a few times now, and uh, I always enjoy uh, speaking with her, although it seems like we rarely uh, get to completely cover the topic that we initially scheduled because we get sidetracked. Uh, it's usually my fault, but uh, this time uh, I think we hit it. Um, yeah, I'm a little, uh, little interested by that. And, uh, yeah, unfortunately, uh, we, we were scared, scheduled for only about 15 minutes, uh, Mary. Uh, and, of course, when uh, she... I missed the initial call. It shortened it a bit. But uh, the real reason I had to go ahead and couldn't stretch it any further is because now I need to give a call to uh, General Rick Lynch and get him on the line. So if you will very kindly uh, stay with me just a moment, I will be right back. And uh, if all goes well, I will have the general on the line with me. So uh, stay with me. 
and gentlemen, I am indeed back. Uh, thanks for uh, staying with me through the break. And uh, now I am joined by Lieutenant General. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground. Cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Retired Rick Lynch, and uh, he's uh, recently released a new book uh, called Work Hard, Pray Hard, the power of faith and action. And I think given the current circumstances that we face around the world, it is a good idea to keep in mind how positive and how powerful faith can be on the battlefield. Uh, General, thanks for being with us today. I appreciate it. Welcome to the show. No, Tim, thank you very much. I appreciate this opportunity. All right. Uh, you have uh, been involved since your retirement with uh, – public speaking, with leadership, with teaching uh, folks uh, the values of leadership. And in this particular uh, book, you decided to take on the topic of how your faith helped to uh, focus you and uh, helped you to keep you on track. Uh, you talk a little bit about how you actually came to your faith a little bit late in life in comparison to most folks. What was it that made you decide that this was an important message and that was important to be heard now? Well, Tim, it was uh, clear to me in my travels across the nation. Right when I transitioned out of the military in January 12, I wrote a uh, book entitled Adapt or Die about adaptive leadership, and that allowed me to uh, make presentations to audiences large and small about adaptive leadership. And I could just tell from both the uh, questions and answers and by the conversations after the presentation that we as an American public are unbelievably anxious. We're concerned about our future. We're concerned about our family's welfare. We're concerned about the economy. We're concerned about things out of our control. And people would ask me, they'd say, well, General, you you commanded 25,000 soldiers in Iraq as part of the surge. You commanded the largest installation in the free world. You're running two companies now, and you don't appear to be anxious. How could that be? And I explained to them. It's all about my personal relationship with God. And as you mentioned, Tim, I, I, had, I was 32 years old before I was baptized. I'm 61 now, so generally half my life was without a strong relationship with God, the other half with, and it's made all the difference in the world. So what I decided to do two years ago, because it takes about two years to actually birth a book, is to take the time to write down how one can improve their relationship with God. And as a result of that, be less anxious, less concerned, less fearful. And then I broke it into seven distinct chapters. So if the reader's got a specific issue about courage or limitations or spiritual fitness or sin, I wrote a chapter about each one of those using my own personal examples and examples from both the Bible and historical examples. I hope it helps people. 
Yeah, this really isn't about religion as it is about spirituality, and it's about personally uh, finding your path and learning to to get peace of mind and uh, just a personal belief that things are going to work out the way they're supposed to. Uh, how many situations uh, while you were actively engaged in the military did you find yourself drawing on these items for strength? Well, it was, a, it was a daily event. You know, I talk about in the book specific examples where if I didn't have my faith, I would have been devastated. You know, I start every day in prayer. I continue with a Bible study. Every day I ask God to be with me, to give me the strength, courage, and wisdom to do the things that uh, I know that he wants me to do. And he doesn't. You know, God never lets you down. Joshua 1.9 is a verse I turn to in combat all the time. Where God tells us, have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous, to not be terrified, to not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So when I got into difficult situations, for example, on one of my tours in Iraq, I was a guy that was negotiating with the insurgency, and routinely I'd go into a room with 18 armed insurgents. I was unarmed because I didn't want to portray any kind of fear. It was just me and my interpreter and those armed insurgents who would have loved nothing better than to kill or capture an American general. I had no fear because I knew that God was with me because he told me he would be. Right. When it uh, comes to situations like that, was it your military life that helped lead you to your spiritual life, or was that triggered by an event that was completely independent from that? Uh, I I, I named the book Work Hard, Pray Hard after a, young man who worked for me on a couple of occasions in the United States Army. And what happened is I tried to provide spiritual leadership at all levels. I think leaders lead tactically and technically and physically and spiritually, not just military leaders, but leaders of all kinds. So this young man, James Marsh, made it a point to attend all my prayer luncheons and breakfasts and spiritual fitness events. And one day he leaned over to me and said, Colonel, I got this figured out. I was a colonel at the time. And I said, what do you got, James? He says, it's work hard, pray hard. And that stuck with me ever since that conversation in 1998. So I always rally back to that. I'm convinced that what is what God wants us to do. He wants us to pray hard, but he also wants us to work hard. And I love the fact, Tim, that you captured the book is not about religion. Candidly, I think one of the things that get in the way of a personal relationship with God these days is organized religion, where people say, you got to believe like me or you're wrong. I would never do that. All I do in the book is I talk about my personal faith and how my relationship with God gets me through difficult times. And I do cite a lot of other folks, well-known folks, who have similar circumstances. And as a result of that, you can make it through today's most challenging times. And people say, well, does it only work on a battlefield? No, I've been out of the military now for six years. I find myself in more stressful situations off the battlefield than I was in the battlefield. And now as I'm talking to people, they're all concerned about what's going on with their economy and can they provide for their families and things like just happened with Syria and in Sweden as well just makes people unbelievably anxious about our national security and the security of their family and friends. All right. Uh, on a similar topic, uh, not only do we have the uh, Sweden issue, but we had the uh, attack on the Coptic Christians in Egypt today, uh, although a few hours ago at this point. Uh, this attack by ISIS. Uh, what kind of message do you have for a Christian who is legitimately concerned about 
this type of interaction in the world where we have the rise of Islamic terrorism where you are a target just because you're a Christian? Yeah, I, I mean, I clearly worry about that, as everybody else should as well. But I was asking in a previous interview about uh, who you're targeting when you're going into places like uh, Egypt or Iran or Iraq. It's not it's not people with different beliefs than you. It's against people who have uh, improper actions, doing the wrong thing. So what happened in Egypt today and what happened in Syria a few days back, I mean, it causes all of us concern. But I do remind folks, uh, Tom Landry, the uh, famous Dallas Cowboys football coach, who, oh, by the way, didn't find his way to Christianity until he was 32 as well, he taught me being a Christian not about who you are, it's about what you do. And that's what we all have to acknowledge. So, you know, there are people out there with different beliefs, but what we have to do is be lifestyle evangelists and share our beliefs at the appropriate time. Right. In, in the... Uh... In the process of uh, carrying out your duties, did you ever find yourself, when it came to ordering uh, men into a situation where you felt like you had to spend some extra time in prayer before giving an order? Yeah, I, uh, you know, people ask me, if you spent 35 years in the Army and you attained the rank of Lieutenant General for your Listeners out there, generally the Army's got about a million people at any one time, less than 50 of us are three or four-star generals. People say, well, what was the most demanding time? It was clearly leading America's sons and daughters on the field of battle in Iraq. When President Bush announced the surge, he was really talking about the division that I was commanding. We took 25,000 great American youngsters into the worst part of Iraq. They took what was called the Triangle of Death and turned it 15 months later into what was referred to as a triangle of life. So it was every day I was on my knees. I started every day in prayer and asked God to be with me so I could have the right guidance for my men and women, so I could be spiritually fit and have my own personal courage, but more importantly, I asked for God to be with all those youngsters. And even in the most difficult times, there was one time where an entire platoon was ambushed and five people were killed, three people were taken captive, you know, we continued to pray, we continued to believe, we continued to have faith that God would see us through that. You know, it's naive when people say there's no atheist in a foxhole. I mean, I acknowledge that. But what I found with these young men and women who volunteered to serve our nation while we were a nation at war, they all turned to something stronger than themselves, and their own ways they, they worshiped God. What is... Uh your hope, what is your biggest hope uh, for the outcome of the book? Uh, I, I'm assuming that you hope that this is just going to help people, but is there an overriding message that you really want more than what you've already touched on? Because uh, you mentioned the things pretty well. But is there a uh, a point at which you consider it a success outside of monetary sales and things like that, I guess is the real question. Yeah, that's a great question as well, Tim. So uh, it was a two-year birthing process, both in my first book and now the second book, and I've already started on my third book. I know it's a two-year process. It takes a lot of effort, time, blood, sweat, and tears, if you will, to get it exactly right to the point where you're ready to publish it. And that's where we got with Work Hard, Pray Hard last week when it came out on the 4th of April. And people say, what do you want to get out of this? I'm sincere when I say, if all that effort – 
resulted in only one person out there who today is struggling. I mean, they're just struggling because they don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, and they're finding a way, trying to find a way to become less anxious and less concerned and less fearful. If I can touch one person, if one person picks up this book and says, hey, maybe this is what I need, then it'll be worth the effort. And i got to share this story. The, the reason I was baptized at the age of 32 is because my wife and I went to a Protestant chapel. We were recreational Christians, I called it. We just went to church because everybody else went to church. I really didn't get anything out of it, nor did I try to strengthen my relationship with God. But that particular day, the chaplain was talking about this thing called inner peace based on Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything with prayer and petition. Present your request to God in the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If there's one person out there that today is unbelievably anxious and they pause and take the time to read my book, and as a result of that, they strengthen their relationship with God and become less anxious, it was worth it, Tim. It was worth it. Uh, all right. Would you mind if I asked you a question completely unrelated to the book while I have you on the air? Sure, Tim. Sure. All right, General. Uh, calling back on your experience as a uh, field commander, what would you do if you were running the situation right now uh, in Syria and the situation dealing with North Korea? I'm just are you on board with what's going on now, or is there a, a different path that you would take based on your experience? Yeah, I'm so proud of the Trump administration. Uh, I did spend the last 10 years on active duty fighting terrorists, Desert Shield, Desert Storm, Kosovo, Bosnia, uh, three tours into Iraq. So I got a pretty good sense of how terrorists respond. In Canada, they're like your uh, backyard bully, the schoolyard bully, and they only respond to brute force. So when President Trump and his team, when they saw this horrific act that was taking place in Syria with chemical munitions, rather than just talk about it, they did something. And I said, that's wonderful. And folks like the leadership in North Korea now are seeing action, not just words, because they weren't buying the words all along. They wanted to see action. When they saw that action, that gave them cause to stop and think about doing stupid stuff, because we now have a commander-in-chief and an administration we're not going to allow that to happen. And people tell me all the time, they say, well, General, you know, we shouldn't have, we shouldn't have sent those Tomahawk missiles into that airfield in Syria. We should not have done that. Candidly, it's just like this. Terrorists hate us. They hate our freedoms. They hate our way of life. They want to stop us from having those, those freedoms. And if we don't take the fight to them over there, they're going to bring the fight back here. Can you imagine the use of chemical munitions here in the continent of the United States? And that's what's going to happen if we don't keep taking the fight to them over there. So I applaud the administration. I applaud the fact that we're reaching out uh, strongly to North Korea and explaining to them that we're not going to tolerate the stuff that they're putting together because we can indeed do that. We're strong enough a nation to do that, and it's important to our national security to take those actions. All right, General, sir, thank you very much. I appreciate uh, your answers, and I certainly appreciate your efforts uh, with the uh, this book in particular, it really uh, strikes a chord with me because I am very much a big part of the message of the show here has always been about a more spiritual path and a uh, following of the Constitution and keeping constitutional restraints on our government. So, again, uh, thank you very much. Uh, for anybody who's looking to try and find your work, sir, where would they find it? 
So it's available in the you know conventional bookstores like uh, Barnes and Noble. It's available online, Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Uh, you can go to my website, workhardprayhard.org, and there are links on my website to allow you to purchase the book. And Tim, I'm not going to let you go until I tell you thank you. You know, I've studied what you do and how you try to get the message out to the American people using your radio broadcast. And in my mind, you're an American hero. God bless you, Tim, for what you do. Well, thank you very much, sir. That means a lot coming from you. I'd appreciate that greatly. Uh, I'm not certain that I'm worthy of that praise, but I will accept it, and, and I appreciate it, sir. Thank you very much for your time. God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. Goodbye. God bless. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is Lieutenant General Retired uh, Rick Lynch. And, uh, you know, I'm, I've been impressed since I uh, first uh, came in contact with his work. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And, uh, you know, his first uh, book... I actually did have the uh, pleasure of getting to read uh, large excerpts of it. I have not read the whole thing, but the Adapt or Die Leadership uh, book, uh, tremendous, uh, but exactly what you would expect from a military-minded individual. And, you know, I'm just more impressed with him uh, after uh, having the opportunity to speak with him. And, uh, you know, again, I... I don't see myself as any great American uh, by any means. I, I find myself trying to speak to great Americans and trying to give opportunities to great Americans to get their messages out to a larger uh, audience. Uh, that's probably about the most I do other than yammer on so, <laughs> with my own opinions, which, you know, they are what they are, and that's just an opinions, which thankfully you guys uh, – agree with me enough uh, that you keep listening. So uh, again, I, there's a good opportunity to go ahead and thank all of you for being here. Uh, I, I don't know what else to say at that point. That uh, did take me a little off guard, actually, and uh, I, I certainly appreciate the kind words from uh, General Lynch. All right, let's get back on track with uh, the show. Now, I don't want to go back and talk too much more about the Bill O'Reilly bit uh, at this point, just because it's not that important of a story. Uh, again, I will just make the point that I find the timing interesting that this, which is not really much of a story to begin with, and certainly not a lot of new information, seems to come along uh, almost immediately on the heels of his little comment about Maxine Waters, which 
again, Bill O'Reilly, a tip of the hat to him, did the right thing, the mature thing, and admitted that he was immature and that it was wrong, and he apologized. Now, we all know that when it comes to offending the left, that's never good enough, and it's not. So the thing is, is it good enough for you? Now, I know a lot of folks that listen to this show on a regular basis don't particularly have a high opinion of Bill O'Reilly based largely on some of the things uh, that uh, have transpired since his days on Fox have went as long as they have. Uh, Mary says the, in the chat room, and she must have missed that part when I – uh, went over it and said she didn't even know what he said. Uh, the comment that he said about Maxine Waters, uh, and I'm not even 100% sure now. I've actually forgotten. Again, this is not a big story uh, in my mind. Uh, somehow or another, the topic of Maxine Waters came up, and he said something along the lines of she needs to stop wearing those James Brown wigs. So evidently cracking on her hairstyle. <laughs> And you know, it was just supposed to be a, a, a glib, stupid little joke. And you know, quite honestly, I don't see how referencing James Brown in and of itself makes it racist. Yeah, exactly. What's wrong with that? But people said that it was racist, and of course, you know, people say everything's racist right now. And if if you're a leftist uh, and you're not happy with what I said, uh, I find it. I would find it absolutely unsurprising whatsoever if a leftist troll were to pop up a little later and claim that the interview with uh, General Lynch was racist. I mean, they just throw it around to the point that I don't think they know what it means anymore. But uh, I, I just – I think it's too much of a coincidence to be a coincidence, and I think this reporter – who broke the story about how much money Fox News has spent to settle these lawsuits. They, they went out there and tried to put extra pressure on these sponsors, and that's a big part of what actually – I hate to keep referencing Glenn Beck. It seems like I've been doing that a lot here late, lately, uh, but uh, it's, it's the same thing that happened to him while he was at Fox. Is, uh, there was – he made these uh, strong references tying Van Jones to all these different uh, – groups that uh, are less than ideal if you're going to move up in the ranks of the political world here in the U.S. And then suddenly there was a major effort to get sponsors of the show to start boycotting, uh, not letting their dollars go to support the show. Uh, and in Glenn's case, that was enough that it brought an end to his show, which, you know, as far as the way his television show on Fox was set up, again, he has certainly had his moments for – seemed to want to cry an awful lot, almost too much. Uh, and it was to the point that it didn't seem like it was sincere, like it was just over-the-top acting. And to be honest, sometimes that's the impression I got too. And of course, I didn't watch the show all the time, but when I did see it, that's what I saw. Uh, but I liked the format of the show, and I liked the fact that he had his big chalkboard, and he would lay things out, and he would draw the connections, and he would lay out his cases. Uh, he is a fan of history, too. I, I like that. 
At any rate, that has nothing to do with the current topic, so I should probably get back on to it. And that simply comes down to this. This is an attack that's designed to try and pull all financial sponsorship away from the O'Reilly factor, trying to force Fox News into giving up their flagship opinion show. You know, they've already had their issues with Megyn Kelly. They've had issues with other female uh, employees. Uh, the whole uh, uh, whole issue with the sexual harassment that went on the former uh, head over there, uh, Isles. Uh, you know, it's just it's a mess, and, and there's a lot of turmoil at Fox News, and all this craziness just keeps them on their toes. But at the same time, most of us have recognized for some time now that uh, at least since the midway point of the first uh, term of the Barack Obama administration, Fox News was nowhere near as fair and balanced as they used to be. And people like Shep Smith actually come out and have went full-blown liberal with a lot of the stuff that uh, has spawned out. So I certainly hope that Bill O'Reilly stays right where he's at and that he gets through this. But at the same time, it doesn't hurt any of these people to reevaluate where they're at, what they're doing, and what they need to do. In fact, I might want to recommend that all of them take a little time to uh, read the general's new book, Work Hard, Pray Hard, The Power of Faith in Action. I'm I'm still not over that interview. That was a, a good guy. Uh, unfortunately, uh, have to kind of move along at that point. Uh, you know, we uh, we have a new Supreme Court justice, and unfortunately, it required utilizing what uh, they refer to in the Senate as the nuclear option. Uh, And I see Kilroy is here, uh, joined us in the chat room. Hey, Kilroy, how are you? Um, what's wrong with that? Uh, well, nothing. <laughs> nothing, Mary. Nothing's wrong with uh, utilizing the nuclear option. In fact, uh, in lots of occasions, I've always wondered why they felt it necessary to reach the 60-vote threshold in the first place for confirmation of uh, justices used to be that uh, that was the case for all justices, and they changed the rule. And again, Congress uh, can change their parliamentary rules uh, at the drop of a hat. The big deal isn't that they did it. The big deal is that they had to do it. Why did they have to do this? Why were the Democrats so against Gorsuch? Because there's no reason. Gorsuch is exactly the kind of jurist that both sides claim that they want or at least every indication has been. He says, and he has a track record of at least making the effort of leaving his personal feelings out of his uh, adjudications. When you sit him back and he's thinking about and he's pondering and he's trying to come out with his opinion, he's going to make his ruling, he has time and time again made every effort to leave the personal out and leave the legal as the basis. Very much would think uh, – and yeah, you're right, Mary. Uh, no matter who Trump uh, 
nominates, they're going to uh, fight it tooth and nail. But you see, the thing here is unless they were playing politics strictly to try and make sure that it's the Republicans who eliminate the 60-vote threshold for this so that later on nobody can say, hey, well, the Democrats did this, even though technically it was because of the Democrats, I would make that case. I, I do think that uh, that this is the kind of guy that uh, they should have been – while they want to do whatever they wanted as, as far as opposition, we want to be the opposition party, we want to do this. They even threw out accusations of plagiarism while he was in college. And had I been able to get on Wednesday night, uh, unfortunately, uh, weather prevented that, but had been able to get on Wednesday night, that was going to be one of the topics we were talking about. I mean, the Democrats literally, uh, the so-called progressives, were throwing everything they could, including the kitchen sink, at this guy to try and get something to stick, some reasonable excuse for why they might have legitimate grounds to oppose this man. Oh, obviously they don't want you thinking that it's just because it's a Donald Trump appointee. They want you thinking that uh, they're trying to protect you, the American people, from a bad jurist, which if that was really the case, I think we would not see Elaine Cagle or Sonia Sotomayor currently sitting on the Supreme Court. But then that's just me. In fact, I would dare say if that had been Democrats' primary hope all along that we would have never seen a Ruth Bader Ginsburg make it to the Supreme Court. But I digress. And, uh, and Mary makes a good point too as far as the uh, plagiarism, uh, which you know, I mentioned it in passing because there wasn't much to it. But Mary points out that uh, the charge itself was refuted by the original author uh, who supposedly Gorsuch plagiarized. said, nope, that's not what happened here. And that's true. So at the end of the day, we have to take a long, hard look at if the Democrats are really going to stand up and fight tooth and nail against someone like Gorsuch, then what else are they going to stand in the way of? <laughs> you could say it's raining and still be accused of plagiarism. Uh, well, yeah. Yeah, you could. Somebody has written that somewhere before. You're absolutely right, Mary. Uh, but if you're going to stand in the way of putting a reasonable voice on the Supreme Court, someone who's actually going to let the rule of law be the rule, someone who's going to look at each case on an individual basis, who's going to let – unfortunately, I don't necessarily like the idea of case law – helping to decide things because, okay, here's precedent, here's precedent. I don't necessarily like case law uh, being a such a major factor in determining some of these cases because I do think there's lots of occasions where the wrong decisions have been made. Uh, sometimes the decisions aren't wrong based on what's in front of them, but it's wrong based on the fact that the whole argument was off base. Like I'll go back to the whole same-sex marriage bit. Now, I myself am not personally opposed to same-sex marriage just because I know what we're talking about when it comes to the issue, and I've made this case before, and I still take some heat from some of you guys, and that's okay. I understand where you're coming from, but what I see here is you have people that are looking to 
be get the same legal civil partnerships that married couples have and the states decide by licensing who gets these benefits which in some cases it's not even really much of a benefit but there are certain legal things uh, that as a married couple that you are entitled to that if you're not recognized as married that you're not okay so these civil partnerships these civil unions that's really all you're talking about either way actual marriage is a spiritual thing it's between you your partner and your spiritual path your god well, for for me that's the god of abraham uh, for you whoever it is all right i'm not wanting to go down the religious rabbit hole as far as one religion is better than another right now but it is a spiritual thing and that's what true marriage is it is spiritual and it has nothing to do with government that's why the framers when they were putting the constitution together never put anything about marriage in their period no one same sex or opposite sex has a constitutional right to marriage it's not the government's domain therefore it is certainly not the federal government's domain so this determination of equal treatment under the law which i have an argument about that and long time listeners you've heard me say it before but uh, this equal treatment under the law is a for all intents and purposes it's just a, a big false flag simply because you are being treated equally under the law but this the federal court's proper action to same-sex marriage should have been uh, a refusal to hear the case it's not our role lucky land casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky lucky in line at the deli i guess aha in my dentist's office more than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is something outside of our purview. Let the states go. And for individuals that are trying to get same-sex marriage recognition in your own state, then do the groundwork. Uh, get the get the the issue on referendums. You, you go get your petitions. And you have the elections, the votes, and you try to win over the people of your state. That's what how that fight should have been fought. And yes, Barry, again, you are correct. They want to be special. Well, who doesn't want to be special? problem is everybody wants to be special <laughs> but when everybody's special then nobody's special so what are you going to do you have a lot of money and you have a lot of power that is trying to support uh, air quotes again great on the radio uh, <laughs> trying to support uh, the lgbtq community 
uh, by helping them to fight this, and uh, they take these trips. So, again, uh, before I go too much further on this tangent, just a good example of pointing out how sometimes case law can be a bad thing because uh, sometimes judges will render decisions in cases that they should have never been listening to. They should have thrown it out. Should have said, hey, look, I understand your feelings on this, but this is not a role for our court. So, again, now we're looking at the fact that uh, the Democrats are going to fight tooth and nail over everything Trump. That's pretty clear. And now they're not going to be able to utilize the argument about not using the nuclear option uh, should someone else need to be replaced. And I think Donald Trump's second choice, if he gets a second choice during his tenure, could be someone that the Democrats have a lot more issue with than what we should have seen them have an issue with uh, our current newest member of the Supreme Court. All right, now let's let's change topics a little bit. Uh, could be Cruz. Well, you know, I, you know, I don't know if Donald really has moved past the Cruz thing yet, but yeah, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to a Ted Cruz being a member of the Supreme Court. I actually think Cruz would be a very good choice. He's certainly looked to try and protect the Constitution on a multitude of times. He certainly seems to understand what it actually means to filibuster. And he did, for real. Did a heck of a job, too. It was that filibuster that really put him on the top of my radar for possible presidential candidates uh, in this uh, past primary. The fact that he stood up, he did it. He was perfectly legitimate in the reason he was standing up and trying to stop uh, the Obama administration from utilizing drones to just kill American citizens uh, in foreign countries. Now, we can argue, and it's a very different conversation, and I might even be entitled to agree with you to a certain extent, that if you are engaging in uh, combatant behavior in a uh, foreign country against the United States or her military or her interests, I would suggest that uh, there are possible grounds for going ahead and removing a person's uh, citizenship. But I get very wary about the idea of making it easier to strip somebody of their citizenship because I follow the uh, concept of what I've been saying for a long time, and that is whatever power – uh, you're happy with your guy having, you still probably shouldn't give them any additional power that you wouldn't trust in the hands of the other team. Anything that I wasn't happy about Barack Obama being able to do, I should not be happy that Donald Trump could do. Anything that I was happy Ronald Reagan could do, I should be happy that a Jimmy Carter could do. If I wasn't, then I probably shouldn't have let Ronald Reagan do it. You know, that the whole concept of I, I get weary of extra constitutional authority too, but you know, that's another topic. Now, point being, uh, Ted Cruz was having this discussion and he actually legitimately filibustered. He he stood up, he stayed in formal dress, 
and he took one short break to read a bedtime story to his kid, which the media went nuts over, tried to uh, lambast him like, oh, such a cutesy move, playing politics, which that angered me more than anything just because we all know that had that been a junior senator from Illinois a few years sooner, a.k.a. Barack Hussein al-Akbar Obama, and he had taken a few moments to read a bedtime story to Sasha, then he would have been the greatest dad ever. So we have to cut through all this crap. And we need to see it for what it is. And again, this is what uh, delving past the headlines is all about. What are we talking about uh, in this issue? It's not that we have a new Supreme Court justice. It's not that we use the nuclear option. The story there is that we had to use the nuclear option involving a nominee that in decades past would have probably had fewer than two objections as far as taking on the role as a Supreme Court justice. There is absolutely nothing in his judicial resume that would have made him even the least bit controversial. So having to go nuclear here is either just a gross miscalculation on the part of the Democrats or a very subtle manipulation by the Democrats in wanting to establish that the nuclear option is gone and nobody can say they're the ones who did it. Maybe that was their plan all along. Don't mean to put on the tinfoil hat, but, uh, well, I mean, there are times where you just have to wonder, what's the scheme? What's the plan? There's definitely something going on. Kind of the same thing that is going on when we take a long, hard look at Donald Trump's response to the chemical weapon attack in Syria. You know, we touched on this just a little bit with the general earlier when he was on, and uh, again, he had very positive words about the action. And I have to admit that I also was very, very happy, uh, for lack of a better term, because to see actual, positive, decisive action being taken. It was very controlled. It was very disciplined. It was very much related to, specifically, the chemical attack. Now, you still have Syria and the Russians claiming that uh, – this was a, an accident where they hit a ISIS stash of chemical weapons that they didn't actually do this. But the majority of intel that we have from both our sources and from other foreign sources seem absolutely certain that it was Assad who did this. This also puts the Russian government in a position of at least being an accessory after the fact. That primarily because it was supposed to be Russia's responsibility to make sure that Assad had in fact given up all of his chemical weapons. That there is no way, given that Russians were uh, running some of their sorties against ISIS-affiliated locations within Syria from that very Air Force base that was hit. It would be very unlikely that some Russian officer – would not have seen the Syrians loading up chemical weapons for a bombing run. 
Now, maybe they weren't paying close enough attention. Maybe they weren't paying any attention to the Syrians at all. But it still seems not very likely. There were instantly people on the left that tried to decry this as some type of collusion between Vladimir and Donald to try and make Donald look tough. That it was really all about trying to distance him from all the Russian collusion talk about the election. And there was a lot of stuff that happened on that uh, front as well this week, and we'll try to get to that as time allows. But uh, this is a pretty expensive conversation here. I mean, this is huge. Donald Trump, with the best intel he had available, made the decision to act unilaterally, made the decision to act in a fashion that would minimize collateral damage, but maximize the point that there are, in fact, red lines and that they are hard red lines. They have been drawn in the sand, and Barack Hussein al-Awakbar Obama is no longer in charge over here. It's no matter, no longer going to be a matter of big talk, no action, or big talk and action to actually help you, like the case of the Iranian deal, is going to be, uh, if we're talking, maybe big, maybe small, but there will be action. Uh, almost along the lines of the uh, talk softly and carry a big stick, only Donald Trump very rarely talks softly. I was ecstatic, not at the idea of doing the bombing, but ecstatic at the idea that once again, the world is on notice that the American government is not just a paper tiger. We're not just a pretend power. We're not afraid to use our power. It was a, a very smart tactically. But then I hear people like Lindsey Graham and uh, John McCain speaking praising it very highly, and people like Rand Paul uh, criticizing it, and then suddenly I'm wondering, am I wrong to feel good about this? Because you know, it's just like I feel when uh, when you hear certain folks on the left talking about how most of Hollywood has this Islam thing wrong. You know, there's a certain Bill Maher who the one thing I find myself agreeing with more often than not is the uh, the reasons we should be concerned about Islam. But whenever I find myself on the same side of an argument with certain people, like Bill Maher, like Lindsey Graham, suddenly I find myself wondering, do I really need to – I really need to reevaluate this. Maybe if they're liking this, maybe I'm missing something here. Maybe I'm on the wrong side. Now, as far as the constitutionality is concerned, you know, I'm still not 100% sure on that as far as the argument's concerned because here's where the question comes from me. I think it's completely constitutional because in the Constitution, when the powers are laid out, as they're describing the authority that executive orders have, it's very clearly laid out that executive orders only have the power of law for the rest of the the country, 
if Congress has specifically legislated giving that authority to the president, which in my mind the War Powers Act does. But there are a whole group of people, which Rand Paul is included in that, that argue that while the legislature does have the legal authority to give specific power to the president that ordinarily would fall to the legislature, that something along the lines of war, something that's specifically stated as your authority, that they don't actually have the authority to give that away. All right. I can see where maybe there's a legitimate argument there. I'm not sure, not being a lawyer, exactly how strong that case falls, but I can see there's reason for debate. There's reason for discussion. Maybe he's correct on that interpretation. In fact, uh, I will probably reach out to uh, the underground professor and see uh, what his take on this is uh, before long and uh, see if I can't get him on air to talk about it. Uh, just something that I've been playing with since I heard this argument the other day. Haven't had a chance to reach out to him yet, though, so we'll see. I uh, very much would like to have him on. But uh, all of that set aside, we're still talking about the fact that Donald Trump was hosting the president of China in Florida at the time that this strike occurred. We're talking about the fact that North Korea is very much an issue that we need to be concerned about because the thing about Kim Jong-un that's different than Kim Jong-il and his predecessor, his father, is that while they have put forth this propaganda, crazy mindset that they're trying to get the people to believe, they know – that all the BS about their power, their authority, uh, their level of divinity, uh, all these other things that are part of their propaganda machine within uh, their uh, their nation. Yeah, I, yeah sorry. Uh, yeah, Mary, I, I will probably uh, send him a message a little later and ask him about it. I've still got to check uh, my booking because I've got some folks scheduled, but I definitely would love to have him on. So, yeah, I'm... I fully intend to reach out to him. We'll just see if he's available. But, uh, okay, lost my train of thought. But, you know, this is a guy, Kim Jong-un, who... Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. By all accounts, people inside the government honestly believes that he's unbeatable that honestly believes all this propaganda about the divinity of their family, that they are literally god-kings uh, sent there to rule over the North Korean people. And you know, this is part of this story that has been propagated. And it's difficult for us in the West in particular to believe that 
any nation could still be ruled like that because, well, we have so much freedom of information. We complain about uh, Facebook uh, blocking us. Well, we can still get on Twitter. We complain about Twitter uh, blocking us. And we can still go over to TeaPartyCommunity.com. And if you're on our side, well, you're probably not going to get blocked over there unless you become uh, combative. Uh, we really – we don't have any idea what it is in places where very few people even have electricity, let alone social media, computers, internet access, phones. Uh, Infrastructure is not exactly big in North Korea. And when you have what amounts to a, a third world a nation, that is literally living in a, a black hole, and that is what North Korea has become for its people, uh, there is literally very few people that know what's happening in, outside of their borders. And the few who do are normally forced out by running for their lives, or they are killed. There's very little tolerance for potential threats to the authority of great leader. Uh, that's why this guy's killed his brothers. That's why this guy has killed his uncle. That's why this guy has, well... No threats. This guy's this guy's living in pre-feudal England, where you know if a member of the family had a legitimate claim to the throne, uh, he had to be dealt with. Same kind of deal. That's the mentality. That's the mindset. And now that North Korea has solid fuel for the rocket boosters, they don't even have to fuel up outside anymore, where our satellites can pick in, can pick up them preparing to launch their rockets. We know they are on the cusp of oh, – what's a good word? Reliable. Reliable is a good word. They're on the cusp of reliable, intermediate, medium-range intercontinental ballistic missiles. They're at that point – less than a couple of years away from long range. Now that medium range puts Hawaii well within their reach. It's definitely right now Japan and South Korea are already in the region. When you have somebody who believes that they can win a nuclear war, who's not afraid to challenge world powers and who believes they have a divine uh, purpose to reestablish the glory of the Korean people, uh, that's pretty dangerous. And in the past, we've always relied on China to kind of keep North Korea under control. I don't know that they have the same influence against Kim Jong-un that they had against Kim Jong-il and uh, predecessors. In the past, China was always happy to have them as their little uh, attack dog, which more like a little chihuahua, a lot of bark, a little safer rattling, and uh, then they'd shut them up when the time came. Got whatever negotiating ploy they wanted, and uh, okay, there you go. Good deal. 
the balance of power stays in check. But I don't know how much influence China really has. But Donald Trump has said, point blank, that if China can't deal with them, we will. And I believe that fully means that as of right now, there are plans on the table whether or not they get executed. But there are plans being drawn up for a first strike, a preventative strike if need be, against North Korea. And the fact that the Syrian airfield strike occurred while the Chinese president was here, I think that's part of the message. See, Kim Jong-un mistakenly thinks that the message was for him. It wasn't. The message was for China. The message was for Russia. The message was for Syria. The message was for Iran. And the message is quite clear. Barack Obama is not the guy calling the shots anymore. Message number two, also just as clear. When we see something wrong, we will act to make it right. Chemical attacks on your own people where children are dying on the streets, that's not right. You step across. Now, granted, Syria has been in a civil war now for longer than most people realize. And there are literally multiple uh, different groups of people. Seven different nations are currently doing operations, and then there are other militias, Uh, that are also fighting, and they're all independent, and they all have a different goal, and most of these groups are fighting against Assad. Do we want to be in a a military conflict with Russia? Probably not. Are we afraid to? I think that's part of that mission, too. A big part of the message, uh, Russia, you know, we... Vladimir, we'd love to be your friend. We'd love to work with you, but you know what? If you're going to keep propping up this guy who's doing this, then no. And that's a good thing. I, I literally heard people this past week that I had to calm down, posting on Facebook and uh, sending me emails. Oh, how close are we to World War Three? How close are we to this? Uh, Donald Trump is taking us to war. No, no. As I explained that we already had ground troops on the ground in Syria operating, uh, trying to retake Raqqa. They had never heard that. They didn't know. They didn't know about our up uh, our upgrade of the number of troops in Kuwait on standby, ready to act as backup, ready to be support personnel for the folks in Syria. These people don't pay attention until they see something plastered all over the news. The usual sources of news reporting just don't get you where these people are noticing. So there was a full-on panic button with some folks, and I had to calm them down and explain to them, first of all, this particular attack, other than the fact that it might have been a little bit of overkill. I don't think you need to use 59 Tomahawk missiles to achieve the level of destruction that he did in this case. Uh, Maybe just trying to help uh, bolster a little extra cash flow towards Raytheon, who's now going to have to replace those Tomahawks that got used. But uh, other than it being a little overkill, this was a very clear message. They were very professional. They 
gave the necessary heads up to the Russians that were operating at that base. Hey, we're coming. Get out of the way. Knowing that that also would mean some of the Russian folks there, as they were getting the heck out of the way, would tell some of the Syrian folks. So very limited damage done to people. It wasn't about killing anyone. It was about sending a message that we're not going to allow you to have the infrastructure to continue utilizing non-conventional weapons. My concern, however, is how far away are you from making that same determination when it happens with conventional weapons? Because I can tell you, if it's simply a matter of reacting to seeing these children on the street, there is no kind way to kill these kids. There's no nice way to do this. He's fighting a civil war where he's fighting multiple factions, and these multiple factions are trying to take him out. Now, at some point or another, I firmly believe that you're going to see Assad forcibly removed by his own military. I think that's coming. But until that happens, we do have to be concerned about what happens as far as our involvement. Yeah, I very much was happy to see unilateral action, very happy to see very controlled, very disciplined. And uh, very much the shock and awe that George W. talked about. This was just, we're blasting some tomahawks at you, and guess what? We're going to completely destroy your ability to uh, take these actions. At the moment, they claim that the removal of Assad is not a high priority. And it shouldn't be. In fact, Mary just, <laughs> as she often does, she kind of beat me to it in the chat room as far as where I was going. Assad is not our concern. Our real concern, our real reason for being in Syria is ISIS. We're trying to clean up the mess that was created by the last administration. ISIS arose and became a powerful organization because Barack Hussein al-Akbar Obama refused to listen to military commanders, refused to listen to common sense advice, and gave a deadline to withdraw U.S. military troops, which left the power vacuum, which allowed ISIS to flourish and to become powerful. Mary points out that if Assad is eliminated, Christians will be killed. And we're we see that with what ISIS has been doing since they've been taking large swaths, uh, swaths of uh, land away from Assad's control. Big chunks of Syria and even still some of northern Iraq firmly in the control of ISIS. We have to win that fight. ISIS is our enemy. And that's another reason why we don't want to be in a conflict with Russia, at least not right now. Russia is an ally in so much as fighting ISIS. Now, if they're an ally in any other place, uh, you can make the arguments maybe. I'm not necessarily buying it. <laughs> Vladimir is not a nice guy. Vladimir is not our friend. He is trying to rebuild the former Soviet Union. 
No questions, no doubts. You look at what he did while Barack was in charge. Now, he went into Crimea, went into Georgia, has big chunks of the Ukraine back under his control. He is expanding. And he wants the U.S. out of the area altogether. But he does need help in fighting ISIS, and so do we. Now, there's a certain famous quote that says that the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Now, we should have learned a long time ago from dealing with uh, folks in the Middle East, uh, at least folks in the Middle East that are not Israel, that that's not necessarily the case. The enemy of my enemy is probably also my enemy because we only like ourselves in the Middle East. That's why Islamists still continue to fight over what kind of Islam you practice. It's in some cases worse to be the wrong kind of Muslim than it is to be a Christian or a Jew. Of course, that's usually only when they've ran the Christians and Jews out of certain areas. Well, the only thing left are Muslims. Now, what kind of Muslim are you? So the enemy of my enemy is not necessarily my friend, but you still can use them. And that, while it's true, is also a philosophy that's already gotten us into trouble in that part of the world, too. Anybody remember Afghanistan while it was occupied by the Russians? Osama bin Laden ring a bell? We trained him. We financed him. We... The enemy of our enemy, yeah, he wasn't such a good friend. We need to be careful. But at the same time, Russia would still prefer American ground troops be on the front lines and taking places like Raqqa than Russian ground troops. But the big thing to also keep in mind, we're there because, well, because we care about the people. Now, some people will say, ah, that's ridiculous and that's naive. Tim, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. You couldn't be more wrong. But our action, the strike on the airfield, was a reaction not to the chemical weaponry used, but the fact that the chemical weaponry used hit innocent civilians, primarily those kids on the street. Donald Trump said as much. I mean, he, he didn't use those specific words, but he might as well have. There's very little doubt that when he gave his speech explaining what had happened and why, he made it very clear that those images of those children had a profound effect on him. As well, it should. And the fact that it had such a profound effect on him really leads me to be more optimistic than ever that Donald Trump will be judicious when it comes to military. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Actually, because, you know, you had a lot of Democrats early on saying, well, Donald Trump, he'll just, uh, he'll get mad over a Twitter uh, comment and start launching nuclear missiles. If he was as strongly affected by those images as a lot of people were, and that's still the reaction he had as opposed to sending ground troops everywhere and trying to corral up uh, Assad and uh, shooting at the Russians everywhere in the whole nine just to get at the guy that did it. Uh, that kind of discipline, it makes me feel a little bit better about his level of self-control. But the point still is we're there trying to stop ISIS. We bombed the airfield trying to stop Assad from using chemical weapons because we care about the people in Syria. Why are the Russians there? Because of oil. They need ports and pipelines. They need ports and pipelines. For Russia, it's about continuing the growth of rebuilding the former Soviet Union. They don't care about the Syrian people. Vladimir couldn't care less about children on the streets. It's just that simple. We can use Russia's help in fighting ISIS, but we need to keep one eye on ISIS and one eye on Mr. Putin. We need to be aware of his motivations and we need to be prepared to act accordingly. Russia right now if we did get into a full military engagement, I don't think their economy is set up in a place just yet where they could withstand long-term uh, military action. And I don't believe he'd be willing to utilize nuclear weapons, even tactical nukes, uh, for fear of what else might happen. But it's a strong message to send to Vladimir. It's a strong message to send to Assad. And it's a strong message to send to China that we are willing to do what we're going to do and ask the UN for forgiveness later, but not care if they give it or not. That was the message, and it was a very good one. It was well-delivered. But it's a mess, and people need to be paying attention, but we do not need to panic, folks. Uh, the panic on Facebook I was talking about, stop that. That's some BS. All right. Uh, let's, uh, before I run out of time... Let's uh, get on to the topic of the continuing the stories of the investigation into Russian collusion in the uh, election. All right, we've had uh, Devin Nunes. This past week, he stepped down from uh, heading up the investigation. The reason for him stepping down is that there was an ethics complaint filed, and they opened up an ethics investigation. Now, first and foremost, this is BS. He went to the White House to see 
classified information that could not be delivered to the committee. It had to stay where it was. So he went there, he saw it, and then he briefed the president before coming back and briefing the committee. Now, obviously, Democrats were all upset about that. He should have briefed the committee first. Obviously, he was working for the president instead of working for the American people. The separations of powers had been violated. The man's off of the rocker. He's off the rails. He's out of control. He must step aside. He must recuse himself. Well, at first he said no. Why? Well, because he was on to certain information involving a Ms. Susan Rice. And uh, he still needed to garner more classified information. And he hadn't done anything wrong. And, in fact, it is not unusual for the people heading up these committees that are heading up these kinds of investigations to go to the locations where certain classified intel is kept. Whether that means they're going to the White House or whether they're going to Langley or whether they're going to wherever. That's not anything new. It happens all the time and has been happening for decades. Nothing new. So he did nothing wrong. So he said, no, I'm not going to step aside. Uh, we're digging deep and I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Okay. Fair enough. And the Democrats keep whining and keep whining and keep whining and eventually – they get somebody to decide over at the Ethics Committee, well, you know what, maybe we should take a look into it just to be sure, just to make sure that this, while not illegal, but certainly unusual meeting to brief the White House before coming to brief the committee, and it's just kind of unusual. Maybe we should take a look at just to remove the questions of doubt. Or at least that's what they say. Well, once the investigation gets opened up over at the Ethics Committee, Mr. Nunes then has to decide if he's going to continue to fight on the ethics front and continue the investigation, realizing once that's happened, well, now you're going to have Democrats that no matter what the outcome of the ethics investigation is, they're going to continue to claim that you're there protecting the president while the president's being investigated. You were working for him and not the American people. And they will continue to tell bald-faced lies about whatever the outcome of the ethics investigation would be if Mr. Nunes ended up being cleared. So he, as much as I'm not happy about it personally, I do believe it was the right thing to do once the ethics investigation was opened up. He stepped aside and let the investigation at least temporarily be taken over by someone else. But here's the real interesting thing. <coughs> Excuse me. We found out that Susan Rice was involved with unmasking people involved with the Donald Trump uh, campaign. And it raises a lot of questions. And I think that part of what Nunes had come across 
was this evidence that uh, Susan Rice had done this. And then Susan Rice has been out giving interviews ever since her name popped up. And in a lot of occasions, she's lying to the American people. And I'll lay out the case for that here momentarily. See, Susan Rice's job as National Security Advisor actually makes her a White House staffer. In the White House, it doesn't conduct investigations. It can order investigations. Right now, if Donald Trump wanted to uh, have a full-blown investigation into me, he could order that investigation, and the Justice Department – at least I'd hope it's the Justice Department. I certainly hope it's not national uh, – Hope it's not the NSA or the CIA that started investigating me because uh, you know they're not supposed to be worried about whatever I'd be doing. <laughs> Why wasn't she? Why hadn't she been replaced? Well, actually, she has been replaced. Uh, she's replaced. Uh, she was out as soon as Obama was, but this was things she was doing while Obama was still president, Mary. So she was. Uh, as a staffer at the White House working for Barack Obama, and this goes back to the argument that Donald Trump said that Barack Obama had him wiretapped. Now, when you know how Donald Trump talks, you know that uh, there's a lot of hyperbole, and you know that it doesn't mean that he necessarily ordered a wiretapping, but it means that he was very much involved with making sure that uh, electronic surveillance was going on, and that as soon as some of his people were known to be involved with it. They did everything in their power to leak that information. And it's very important to pay attention to the wording. One of the biggest things that Susan Rice has been saying in these interviews since uh, she's been playing the circuit uh, trying to defend herself, and she keeps trying to make sure that people understand there's a difference between unmasking and leaking. Only I contend that there's not really a difference. She didn't have to leak anything at that point because once it's unmasked, all the intelligence agents, all the intelligence agencies that are involved in this information share get to see the unmasked version of these transcripts. Because here, here's what's happened. In case you haven't heard the explanation yet somewhere else, here's how this works. A person is conducting an investigation. Da 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 da. All right, they are privy to certain intel from this uh, foreign uh, information gathering service going on. Say it's the NSA in this case. They picked up. They're doing the normal business as usual uh, electronic surveillance. I don't know why that took me a while to come up with. The usual, everyday, business-as-usual electronic surveillance of a foreign national agent. As they're doing this, well, a American citizen's name is mentioned, or an American citizen is called and is actually speaking with such and such. Now, the way the law is set up now is because this is incoincidental – or not directly involved with why we're monitoring the foreign national, the American citizen's right to privacy is supposed to be first and foremost. So the name gets redacted and is in the report listed as American citizen number one. 
American citizen number two, American citizen number 375. It doesn't matter how long the conversation goes on, whatever. But then someone else who's conducting an investigation of their own then would go back and ask whichever agency created this intelligence file to unmask said American citizen because they believe it has a direct bearing with an investigation they're conducting, then they have to not only ask for that permission with that explanation, but they also have to sell their case. They have to make their case. So let's say that the FBI then decides, well, we're uh, conducting an investigation into Mike Flynn. We believe <clears throat> that this American citizen in this intelligence report, uh, American citizen number three here, may be Mike Flynn. So we need to know because this does have bearing in our investigation. <coughs> now, the NSA uh, buys into that. Then uh, they turn around and release the new unmasked version of the transcript that not only goes to the FBI, but also goes to every other intel agency that's part of the loop on these various investigations, which right before the unmasking uh, request was made that came from Susan Rice, who by rights, because she's a White House staffer and does not work for one of these intelligence agencies or her Justice Department, technically, I don't think she even had the legal authority to ask for the unmasking in the first place, which might also help to explain why uh, the intelligence agencies in question have been stonewalling uh, in the efforts to investigate this. But... Uh, I'll digress from that point. So now these unredacted, unmasked reports, intel reports, hits multiple agencies. And before Susan Rice made this request, the Obama administration changed the rules to include 16 other governmental agencies, 16 other governmental agencies, some of which it makes absolutely no sense. I mean, we're almost right back with why was the uh, Social Security Administration buying a million rounds of uh, uh, a million uh, rounds for firearms? Uh, are they planning on giving guns away to senior citizens? I doubt it. It's a way of putting extra money in the budget and uh, doing something under the table and, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, here's the same deal. This was a concerted effort to leak those names without actually having to leak those names. She claims, Susan Rice, that she didn't know anything about this uh, issue with Trump candidate's uh, personnel being involved with this. Well, this release memo that has her name requesting the unmasking automatically says that that's a lie. How can you be asking about it if you don't know anything about it? I mean, that's even worse than Barack Obama claiming that the first time he heard about Fast and Furious was in watching the news. But how could that be? And she's also made several multiple statements about not believing that the reason for the, the release of this information having anything to do with fear that the incoming administration would do anything inappropriate with this intel. 
uh, although there are a couple of people who stepped forward that are directly responsible for leaking these documents who have said that that was exactly the reason they leaked it. It doesn't take a brain surgeon or a rocket scientist to figure out that there's a reason why you want to include multiple agencies who don't normally get these reports to suddenly get these reports with the unmasked names as part of it. They don't have to order a leak. They know somebody in one of these agencies is going to see it, and they are going to tell the world. Someone, one of these people, will be good little Democratic operatives, will be good little so-called progressives, and put that information out in front of the American people in hopes that it will help bolster their cause, praying that it will help lead to an impeachment. In fact, I still hear certain progressives talking about how they're certain that Trump isn't going to get past his first 120 days. They know it's coming. They know they have intelligence that uh, the American people will have soon. He's not going to make it. Or someone else will have to take over. Now, that's another direct quote I heard. He'll be impeached soon or someone else will have to take over. Now, what do you mean, or someone else will have to take over? What exactly are you saying? Last time I checked, the impeachment process was the only way someone else in the government took over unless unless the president was simply unable to continue to hold the office, as in assassination, maybe? Again, maybe my tinfoil hat's showing a little too big. I should back that up, but that's what that sounded like to me. Maybe I'm wrong. I hope that I am, but it sounded like a threat. It sounded to me like these little good little progressives are so busy trying to uh, make themselves feel better about what's transpiring with the uh, Trump presidency that they play out these little theater of the mind scenarios. And uh, I think they're still hopeful. I really do think that it's a hopeful situation in their mind that uh, if they don't impeach him, that somebody will assassinate him. I mean, maybe I'm off base. Maybe that's not what she meant. Um, that's what it sounds like. But, but Susan Rice told this lie to the American people that she didn't know anything about it and she didn't think it was fear uh, that led to this movement. Uh, that it got leaked, unfortunately, not her fault. So sad. Difficult to believe that they're not more aware of what's going on. So, again, Susan Rice, she's violated the law. And the real question comes down to how many other people violated the law? Did she know about it? She says no. Obviously, she did. It was her name. Unless somebody, somebody used her name. Again, then, again, I'm still uh, 
curious if she's not the victim of identity theft, <clears throat> which I don't think that's what happened, then what else could possibly be at play? They put this information out in front of as many people as possible so they wouldn't have to leak it themselves. They knew they were leaking it by putting it in front of so many people. So that's the deal. Did Barack Obama also know? Did Valerie Jarrett also know? Did Michelle Obama also know? Because if they knew, and you almost think at least Valerie Jarrett had to know, there's probably tons of things that Barack Obama never knew was going on. Valerie Jarrett was running things way more than uh, Barack was. But she and whoever else had knowledge needs to spend the minimum amount of prison time in prison because you know they're not going to get hit with much more than the minimum. But they need to at least spend the minimum amount of time in prison for these leaks. Because whether they directly leaked it or not, they're still responsible. And I once again point out, I don't think – I really, really don't think Susan Rice has the legal authority to make that request in the first place. She's not conducting an investigation. All right, I got less than five minutes left, and uh, thank you, Mary, for uh, – Reminded me of that as well. One more quick story that I definitely wanted to get on to before we let it go. And uh, thanks to Megan Burke, who actually mentioned this a little bit earlier. This is a big deal. And I guess, you know, I was questioning as much as anybody when Ben Carson was named to be the new uh, secretary in charge of HUD. But uh, one of the first things that Ben Carson did is he decided to have an audit. And in that audit, he found uh, $500 billion in errors. Let that sink in for a second. $500 billion. Now, Ben Carson was, of course, the first neurosurgeon to successfully separate conjoined twins, so he's kind of a superhero in the neurosurgeon world. But apparently, he's not a bad accountant either. Uh, President Trump picked Carson to head up the Department of Housing and Urban Development whose budget grew by leaps and bounds under Barack Hussein al-Awakbar Obama. In one of the first acts as HUD secretary, Carson ordered an audit of the agency. What he found was staggering. $520 billion in bookkeeping errors. $520 billion. Uh, that total amount of errors corrected in HUD's notes, and consolidated financial statements uh, were still over $516.4 billion and then a $3.4 billion respectively. Now, there were plenty of other problems, too. There were several other unresolved audit matters which restricted our ability to obtain sufficient, appropriate evidence to express an opinion. Uh, these unresolved audit matters relate to the Office of General Counsel's refusal to sign the management representation letter, HUD's improper use of cumulative and first-in, first-out budgetary accounting methods of distributing community planning and development program funds, the $4.2 billion in non-pooled loan assets from uh, Jenny May's standalone financial statements that uh, they could not audit due to inadequate support, uh, the improper accounting for certain HUD assets and liabilities, 
and uh, material differences between HUD's uh, sub-ledger and general ledger accounts. Uh, this audit report contains 11 material weaknesses, seven significant deficiencies, and five instances of non Sadly, that's all the time I have to discuss that topic, but that was huge, and I'm glad we had a chance to get to it a little bit. And uh, yes, absolutely, uh, heads should roll. Mary hits it right there. Search their pockets for it, and heads should roll. Love it. Uh, guys, you know, big news. There was a lot of other stories we just didn't have time to get to. Uh, what a busy, busy news week. But uh, I've only got about 60 seconds left, so I guess this is the part where I have to say uh, have a great uh, week to everybody because that's kind of where we're at. Just remember, though, don't take my word for it. Definitely, definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in a little bit of effort and to use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. Uh, good uh, – <laughs> Have a great week, everybody. Quick thanks again to both Megan Barth for joining us and to Lieutenant General Rick Lynch. Great interview with him. If you guys missed it, please check it out in the archives. That's going to be it. We will see you Wednesday night, and uh, God bless.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.